Covering homegrown talent from the high school gym to the NBA. Toronto basketball fans, this is your home court with Megan McPeak and Dwayne Watson on TSN 1050, the voice of Toronto basketball. Welcome back inside the TSN 1050 Raptors headquarters. He is Josh Lewenberg. He is Dwayne Watson. I am Megan McPeak. Joining us now on the line is CBS Sports writer James Herbert. James, thank you so much for taking some time this afternoon. We truly appreciate it. You've got myself, Dwayne, and Josh. And you wrote this piece about the Raptors and, you know, being annoyed and irritated with the way playoffs have gone and the letdowns that they've experienced. With that piece and the way that you've seen them play through this first quarter of the season and you look at the playoffs that they could potentially see a Boston Celtics or a Cleveland Cavaliers in this conference semifinals and conference finals, the way they're playing right now, do you feel that they've bought into the point where it will continue in the playoffs or do you feel they'll revert back to the ISO basketball that has given them these previous letdowns? Well, you just asked us a million dollar question. I think that is the big thing for the Raptors going into the playoffs is when like true adversity hits, are they going to go back to what they used to do, where the stars are most comfortable, uh, which is honestly what we've, what we've seen them do in a couple of late-game situations this year. Uh, but I think the whole plan is to spend this regular season getting used to this new offense, getting used to the new decisions guys are being asked to make, where more players are involved, more players feel comfortable making plays. So if opponents trap Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan like they've done every year in the playoffs for the past, Four years, but other guys will have the confidence, have the experience making plays in this system, and will step up and make those shots and take the pressure off of those two stars. So I think the entire point of this is so things better in the playoffs. And as for if they'll actually stick to it, that's the big challenge. And we can't honestly know until playoff time hits. I have been encouraged by the way that the stars have fought in and the, the way this has gone so far. Because I do think there were questions in the preseason about like, okay, this sounds nice, but do they really have the personnel to make this work? And you look at the numbers, you look at how great the offense has been this year. I think they have overcome uh, the fact they don't quite have perfect personnel to play the pace and space game because they've executed it so so well this year. James, what was so bizarre early in the year is of the two of them, Lowry DeRozan, it was DeMar that sort of seemed to uh, get and look more comfortable in this new system almost immediately, and it took Lowry some time. He sort of yeah. complained about, grumbled about uh, playing fewer minutes, touching the ball less, and having to figure out a way to adapt his game to the new role. Uh, that said, he's been more or less fantastic over the last month. What have you seen differently from Lowry? Basically, still getting the, the same amount of minutes, uh, as few touches as he was getting before, but now playing well in this new system. Yeah, Josh, I mean, I think he's just more comfortable now. I think it's, it's kind of as simple as that. He still has the occasional rough shooting night. Uh, you saw that earlier this week. Uh, but in general, the way that he's played, the, the way that he's sort of figured out where his shots are going to come from, where he can pick his spots and be aggressive, uh, I, I think that's what you've seen develop over uh, a couple months of this season has been active and his numbers over the past month you're right they've been off the charts it's not just the the triple double that he's had it's his efficiency over the course of you know the last six weeks or so uh that's back to sort of normal kyle lowry levels and in fairness like 
I can understand why um, the assumption might be that DeMar DeRozan would struggle more coming into the season because, after all, he's the guy that takes a ton of mid-range shots. He's a, a scorer first through and through, and you're asking him to be more of a facilitator. Um, but over the past few years, uh, Kyle Lowry has just been used to having the ball in his hands um, more than anybody else on the team and being the guy that initiates the offense. And for him to not always do that, for him to have to play off the ball as much as he's had to in this situation this year and have to make plays with maybe less time on the shot clock rather than running the whole thing from the beginning, that is, that is a huge adjustment and a little bit of a sacrifice, too, because he's, he's not going to get the same amount of shots. He's, and more importantly, he's not going to have the same control over what happens on any given possession. Um, it, it's sort of the same thing people were, were worried about this year in Houston with, with Chris Paul and James Harden having to share playmaking responsibility there. That, that's worked out beautifully, but the, way, the, the reason why people talked about that was they were coming from systems where they were basically deciding what's going to happen on every single possession. And Lowry more or less has done that in Toronto, and this year it's been a big change, and I'm impressed by the way the last few weeks have gone. I think he's, he's really started to figure it out. Hey, James, um, you've been following this team for years, and you did some great analysis on this piece, but if I told you at the beginning of the season that Coach Case would implement a free-flowing offense where there was less iso ball and more touch the movement, would you believe me based on what you see now? <laughs> um, it's funny because this has been a question uh, that has been sort of surrounding the team over the past few years. Like, why do they play the style that they play? Will they ever change if not their offense, at least will they make some effort to change the shot distribution. And over the past few years, whenever Dwayne Casey has been asked about their, their number of mid-range shots compared to other teams or their number of assists compared to other teams, he has always had the, the same sort of answer, which is it's about the personnel. You play to the personnel of your team. This is the way that we think uh, our stars can be successful. And I think the, the sort of systemic change here um, – it's really interesting because it's not even to me so much about the personnel that they have. Like it's not about making Lowry and DeRozan more comfortable and making them the best players they can be. It's more about the other guys. It's more about a sort of team-wide approach and how they want this franchise to operate over the next few years. As I said before, I don't think the personnel is quite perfect. You would want a little more shooting on the roster. You would want um, more pass-first guys on the roster they're kind of asking people to go out of their comfort zones with this so so yeah when i when i first saw that this was happening when i watched them play in the preseason i was extremely interested and i was surprised and there there was a little bit of skepticism there too so i I think this has surprised a lot of people um who have followed the team closely and and the reason why i wrote the story was you know sort of for people who have not and and are used to the Raptors um, playing one style of basketball and, and might not know how different they look this year considering the personnel is still pretty similar to what we've seen the past few years. James, do you think that with this new look offense and as Dwayne said the free flowing way that they play, it's allowed the bench mob to flourish the way they did early on this season? Yeah, I think that's a huge part of it. I, I, I think. Um, that that was sort of the point. Um, you, you wanted to empower these guys. You wanted them to feel more comfortable. Um, there was uh, obviously this has been a storyline in Toronto over the past couple of days uh, with Damari Carroll coming back, and we didn't play last night. But the that he made on the way out, while they were controversial, I don't think they were totally untrue. I mean, the Raptors have had really good um, supporting players over the past few years, but I'm not sure they've had the most 
role-player friendly system. Like there, there's been a lot of just standing around and facing the floor. You might go numerous possessions without touching the ball if you're not one of those main guys. And now if you look at the way this system is designed, if you just follow Fred Van Vliet for one possession or follow Pascal Siakam on one possession, there's so much more movement. There's so much more activity. Even if they're not touching the ball, they might be going and setting a screen and cutting from one side of the floor to the other. I just think it's, it's more of a motion-based offense, and it's one where I, I, those supporting cast players, they have more of an opportunity to make plays, and they also just have uh, more reason to feel involved in part of the team's success. And that was one thing Nick Nurse said to me when I interviewed him about the new system, is he thinks this offense will make the role players better players. And that's certainly what they're hoping for with the player development system in Toronto right now. Well, uh, another year, another under-the-radar story for the Raptors. And uh, we heard from DeMar DeRozan in your piece, James, uh, saying, well, it's always been that way. Uh, You're in Brooklyn, and you're plugged in, uh, obviously, to guys in the media throughout uh, the NBA and the U.S. What's the perception league-wide of the Raptors right now? Yeah, I I don't think it's changed that much, honestly. Over the past few years, I think people see Toronto – as a good team, a solid team, like an organization certainly to be respected. Uh, But I don't think they're seen as quite in that upper echelon. I mean, you've seen the offense essentially fall apart every year the past few years. You've seen some crushing playoff losses in terms of ugly sweeps. Um, And I think it's going to take real playoff success to change the perception of the Raptors. And that's not saying they haven't had some. I mean, they got to the conference finals a couple of years ago and took two wins um, against the Cleveland Cavaliers in that series. But I'm just not sure that people in, in, the, in the United States are as excited about the Raptors as they are about the Celtics and the up-and-coming Sixers, about what the Bucks will be with Giannis in a few years, because I'm not sure that the Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan story is as interesting as these new stories. But right now, like statistically, the Raptors have actually been better than pretty much all of those teams. So that, that was sort of the point of the piece. That's why I wanted to ask C.J. Miles what he thought of it, because um, DeMar DeRozan has been answering questions about the Raptors being overlooked for years. It's clear where he stands on that, but I thought for from C.J. Miles' perspective, it, it was kind of funny because he went off. Like He went off about how underappreciated he feels the team is and said he didn't realize it um, until he was a member of the team. And me, as someone who used to live in Toronto, I didn't quite realize it until I moved to Brooklyn. <laughs> like On a national scale, the Raptors just don't garner a lot of attention, and part of it is I just am not sure that people see them as being as interesting or as exciting as as some of the teams with unicorns on them, or say the Celtics who have had such a great story this year. James, thank you so much for your insight. We appreciate it very much on this Saturday afternoon. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks, James. Thank you. Once again, CBS Sports, James Herbert joining us to talk about his piece. You can head over to CBS Sports and check out the piece. He's also got it on his Twitter, Outside the NBA on the Twitterverse. You can check that out. He really goes, like, dove headfirst in depth on that piece. It was 
fun to read. I mean, obviously, the, the offensive changes the Raptors have made this year have been well-documented, but I love the way James got into that piece, yeah. obviously talking about the offensive, the, the shot spectrum, mm-hmm. as well as those scrimmages that the Raptors would have with the young players during the summer, where, as James wrote, uh, the corner threes were worth four points. They'd be deducted points for mid-range shots outside of that shot spectrum. Uh, I mean, that it, first of all, it's it's probably fun to play, right? Uh, but I think it helped. Anyway, we saw this early in the season where those young guys that sort of got the head start on learning the offense, they also got off to a quick start during the season, and it was the starters that took some time to get comfortable. Now they're starting to come around. Mm-hmm. So this is an encouraging sign, I think, for the playoffs in the end of the year. As James said, that's the million-dollar question. We don't know whether it's sustainable, whether it'll hold up under pressure, but the starters are getting it. We know the bench. I mean, they're struggling now because, as we we, we knew, they, they are a young group. Right. But they are getting the new system as well. Everyone's buying in, and ultimately, as Dwayne Casey has reiterated time and time again, it's going to be worth it in the long run. We continue on here. We'll talk a little NBA stuff. Mello makes his return to MSG. And at 2.30, we'll talk Canadians, Jamal Murray and Trey Lyles, what they're doing in the mile high in Denver as we welcome in Adam Mares of DenverStiffs.com. Keep it locked. Home Court continues right here on TSN 1050. It's time for Home Court Highlights on TSN 1050, the voice of Toronto basketball. Welcome back inside the Raptors headquarters here at TSN 1050 Studios. Dwayne Watson, Megan McPeak. Josh Lundberg. Gentlemen. Again with the gentleman. It's like, just let me live. <laughs> let me live. I won't sing Christmas, Carol, Christmas carols, I promise. Um, so the NBA has come out and said that since they've tweaked All-Star Weekend right. with the way the teams are being picked, mm-hmm. the draft thing that we've seen previously in the NHL, um, so they're the not starters, gonna. The starters the, are still getting the starters by the are fans, yeah. Starters the are still the the voting, and whatnot. But the rest of the team is you know there's the two captains. Well, and the starters are voted on by fans. by fans. Fifty percent fans. Fifty percent media. Twenty five percent media. Twenty five percent players. Oh, and no then coaches. the reserves are still voted on by the coaches, and then it goes and then it goes to the draft. The draft. The fantasy draft. So. They've said that they're not going to make the draft public. But don't we want to know who got picked last? That's the only reason to (laughs) do the fantasy draft. Exactly. The NBA has screwed this up royally. So first of all, they've eliminated East versus West West for the actual game. game. But it's still separated in East and West for the actual Voting, voting process. That's what they should have eliminated yeah. because, of course, there are far more all-star caliber players in the West yep. than there are in the East. So it, 15-man rosters, instead of picking the, the best 15 from the West and the best 15 from the East, right. it needs to be the best 30, 30 players. Well, actually, I guess it's 12, 12 players. So the best 24 players 
in the NBA. Yeah, 12, not 15 for the All-Star. For the right, All-Star right, 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 right. Sorry. So uh, it, it needs to be the best 24. Is- Get rid of East and West for the voting. So that yep. needed to be done. It wasn't. They come up with the idea for this fantasy draft, which is interesting, and I certainly get the appeal of it. Mm-hmm. It's a gimmick, and it's sort of a it, it's it's a scene. It's something that fans can really get excited about because people love that stuff. But if, if it's not televised, if they're not even releasing right. who got picked where, who LeBron picked, and who he didn't pick, that's, in the believe me, in the social media age, the age of Twitter, that's what drives storyline. If they're missing that opportunity, then oh. why do this at all? So that's my question. Who, how do they pick the captains? Is it the top vote getter? I think the top vote getter is the because captain. if you because yes. yeah, to your top, point, the Josh, if top they, vote getter in each conference. So to your point, Josh, if they go away with the vo- like with the vote, do you just want them to go away with the conference for voting and just go top twenty four players, or do you want them to go away with the voting completely? Because no, if they go away with the voting, well, then made, you can't figure out the top vote getter. They made that change last year where instead of uh, fans 100% responsible right. for voting in the starters, 50% responsible for the starters, 25 for the media, 25 for the fans. Right. I like that. I'm fine with that. I, I think that should continue, but instead of voting in five starters from the East, five starters mm-hmm. in the West, Just you vote in... Ten starters. Ten starters. Gotcha. And then the coaches pick... What is it, I guess... 14? Yeah, 14. 14 reserves from either conference. And the top two players overall are the captains. Right. So in, so if they if they change if they did that sort of change, would you rather have the vote for the captains be from the coaching and the media vote? Like the no, uh, you take I, I think, that 50% top, and pick or would you two, want it to be just the top two vote getters? P- players are, are the captains. Okay. Um but you know, touching on what Josh said, Remove the conference. Like the idea of like Westbrook and Le- LeBron playing on the same team is exciting. Like that's what's really exciting. But the fact that they're only doing it for the reserves, you know, well, like, you only get half the fun. When you think about it, like just just take OKC and Golden State and Houston, just those three teams in the West, because those are probably where the entire Western Conference vote getters are coming from, anyways, including the reserves. You have. Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, Kevin Durant, that's it. James Harden, Chris Paul, uh, Westbrook, <laughs> Westbrook, Westbrook George. George, Anthony. You could even even just from three toss teams in, alone toss in Stephen Adams because he's been on a tear himself as a big in the West. Like is is that is that one team? Like how do you? Because if you're voting, like the votes are going to be so skewed because there's so much, as you said, Josh, to your point, there's so much talent in the West that this is the one year that you could have gone away with the conferences. Well, let's put it this way. The Thunder are not getting three All-Stars, let alone four, based on how they played right. this season. So uh, Steven so, Adams will represent OKC. Uh, no, and <laughs> so long, Mello, also not in that conversation yeah. this year. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you got Paul George, you got... Uh, Westbrook. Westbrook, and then that's been the case for... It's interesting, because this year... And probably, I didn't even mention Lillard and McCollum. Well, Lillard's always the, the snub guy. Boogie, yeah. Anthony Davis. Yeah, there's so many There's so many players in Western Conference right now that it's not... Towns, even. Wiggins, Butler, <laughs> the list goes on and on and on. It, it, but it's interesting because there isn't that much of a discrepancy this year, if if any discrepancy, between the two conferences in terms of record. I right. mean, last the last few years, the last like decade or two... The teams in the West have just been so much better. This year we're not seeing that as much, but still in terms of all-star caliber talent, there's more of it out West. Uh, If you're a player, the players in the NBA, do you think they 
care about whether or not this fantasy draft is televised. I mean, I assume the reason why the NBA isn't putting that information out there is because they don't want hurt feelings. But, like, these guys, do, I don't do think they the care? Players care? Maybe the players' union cares, but I don't think the players themselves care. Like, I don't want it to be televised. I don't want to be the last. They don't care because we see these guys. Like, Isaiah Thomas is a perfect example. This guy was drafted last in the NBA, yeah. and that motivated him to, to work mm-hmm. harder. And I think in this kind of thing where you're amongst your peers, the top of the top of the elite, and people are looking at you as a guy who's not that good, you're going to want to get the extra motivation to Right. And DeMar loves those slights. It might yeah. be the best thing. <laughs> it might be the best thing for the Raptors if he got picked last. Yeah. Hashtag prove him. Exactly. So, I mean, that like you said, that's half the fun. Right. You want to see that selection process or see who that's gets looked over. Part. Exactly. I, I want to see that more than I want to see the game. Oh, absolutely. And like when you think about it too, like to your point, to your question, Josh, like even if you're picked last, when you think about it, you're picked last of 24 players out of a potential. And I know not all players will play in All Star, but when you think about there's 450 jobs in the NBA and you're of the top 24 picked, like whether you're 24th or number one, like you're happy either way because you're playing, you're like you get to experience All Star, and for some of them, it might be, it could be potentially a first All Star game. Who knows? There would just be so many interesting storylines in that draft. Obviously, do why guys didn't LeBron pick him, and why didn't Steph pick him? Do they take the the best players? Do right. they take their teammates or their friends? Yep. <laughs> the banana boat and I, the banana yep. the team banana boat. I, I mean. We'll still see the rosters, and I'm sure we can come up with certain uh, scenarios scenarios based on um, who ended up where, but it sucks the fun out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's And that's, it's supposed point. to be about fun, isn't it? Yeah, that's the whole point. The fans get let down again. Ugh. There's still time to change it. Home court's making a petition to Adam Silver to make sure the fans get to see the vote. Give us a Festivus miracle. if you haven't seen Seinfeld I'm disappointed that you don't get that joke but we continue on we will be joined by Adam Mares Jamal Murray, Trey Lyles the Canadian kids out in Denver in the mile high they've been putting on for Team Canada we'll talk to him about that next of denverstiffs.com keep it locked right here on TSN 1050 this is Home Court on TSN 1050 the voice of Toronto basketball Welcome back to Home Court right here on TSN 1050, whether at home, in your car, or on your mobile device. Josh Lundberg, Dwayne Watson, Megan McPeak joining us now on the line to talk the two Canadians in the mile high for the Denver Nuggets. Adam Mares, he is beat writer with DenverStiffs.com covering the Nuggets. Adam, thanks so much for taking some time this afternoon. We appreciate it. I hope you're inside and keeping warm in Denver. You know, it's actually surprisingly really nice and sunny out here in Denver, so we're doing great. Not bad at all. Much better than what we've been dealing with the last couple of days with snow here in Toronto. You've got myself, Dwayne, and Josh, and looking at, you know, I'll go, I'll go Jamal Murray first. His last five games averaging 17 points. He's had two games where he's had, he's had 28 points, one where he got a, you know, sweet double-double, 28 and 11. What have you seen just, you know, second season, and he has... Not it's it's almost like he hasn't missed a beat from what he was able to do in his college days as well too, and he's been improving every single night. Yeah, and especially if you look at the last month or so, maybe six weeks, because he had a bit of a slow shooting start to the season, was down around thirty percent from the three point line. But over the last fifteen games or so, he's really started to uh, to break out, not just as a shooter, but a playmaker and scorer. 
There was a bit of a point guard battle between him and Emmanuel Moutier for minutes early on in the season, but he's clearly won that battle. And I think he's uh, positioned himself to be one of, if not the best Nuggets players going forward for a while. The the thing, Adam, that's always stood out about Jamal, both on and off the court, is his confidence for such a young player. Uh, how has that sort of resonated in the locker room in terms of uh, his, his leadership at such a crucial position, obviously, as a point guard? You know, I think leadership is is coming along for him nicely for his age, but I think that's going to be something that he builds towards over the next several years. It's a really young locker room here in Denver with a lot of young players. Um, and as you mentioned, the point guard position obviously requires a little bit more leadership. But I think for him, he's just adjusting to the pace of play and and, and and all the different things that come with playing in the NBA. But but he really is a guy, you mentioned the confidence, He's a, a very driven player. I think he's, he's – I, I always call him a gamer because he big moments, he steps up. That's where he thrives. And while his shot wasn't falling early in the season, his confidence really never wavered. And now that he's making shots, you just see his confidence level and his aggressiveness going to a whole other level. It's, it's been a lot of fun to, to watch him over the last six weeks or so. Adam, you mentioned Jamal's kind of taken the point guard position and wrestled away from Moutier. Um, but Jamal's like in this new NBA that's kind of positionless. He's more of a scoring guard and not necessarily like a, a facilitator. Um, is that something to look for him to add more to his role, or are they kind of cool with him being the scorer and finding the playmaking from other parts of the team? It's a great question, and I think, as you mentioned, it's positionless. The Nuggets have Nikola Jokic, who's kind of a point center and really runs the offense. But I think one of the things he's been dealing with for the last year and a half is he is a scoring guard. He is a, he's best when he's looking to attack and looking to get buckets. But the Nuggets still need him to do some of those traditional point guard duties, settling the, the team down when things get out of control, getting the ball where it needs to go. And I think for him, if he was playing the shooting guard position in the NBA since he came into the league, I think he'd be further along. But I think uh, learning the point guard position while it's taking a little bit of time is going to pay off you know, not just not just for the for the Nuggets and what they need, but also him as a player because you kind of see that basketball IQ growth and and, and the dis- he's becoming a really good distributor and all those things are starting to come together. So I, it it slowed his progress, but I think it's starting to come together for him. Adam, on the flip side, another Canadian that is with Jamal is Trey Lyles, and he was part of that draft day trade which saw Utah pick up uh, a stud in Donovan Mitchell, who's been playing lights out in. Lyles hasn't really had the greatest career as a as a young man and to start in the last few games he's really been picking it up. What have you seen different from what we've seen previous to what you're seeing now in these last few games? The NBA is funny because it's all about opportunity. There's so many great players buried on rosters. And in Utah, they just had some better options that fit their roster better. Early in the season, Paul Millsap's healthy. Trey Lyles isn't really getting a ton of minutes. When, when Millsap went down, the big question mark was who's going to pick up that load at the power forward spot. And man, Trey Lyles, not, you know, I think he's exceeded everyone's expectations with how he's played. He's really taken advantage of the opportunity he's been given lately. He's not only just a rotation piece, but uh, he, he's playing really significant minutes, closing minutes, shooting 50% from the three point line over the last 10 games. I mean, he's just, He's doing everything the Nuggets offensively have asked him to do. And his defense, he, he has shown spurts. I think one of the questions for him as a prospect the last two years was, what, what can he defend? He's kind of too slow to, to guard threes. He's too bi- uh, little to guard fours. But this year, I think you're starting to see flashes of his defensive improvement. 
and his confidence on the offensive end is, is just through the roof right now. So he's been one of the biggest joys, I think, of the Nuggets season so far. What's the timeline on Millsap, Adam, and what comes of Lyles, do you think, when Millsap is back? Well, it's it's been, you know, 15 games now, so we have a pretty good sample size of what Lyles can do. Uh, Millsap's set to return probably right around the trade deadline, or, or rather the All-Star break, maybe early March at the latest. And But I think Trey Lyles has solidified himself in the rotation no matter what. Even when Millsap returns, I think they're going to look to play a lot of minutes with you know, Millsap even at center and uh, Lyles at power forward are, are just, they're going to find 20 minutes per game for Trey Lyles to play because he's played that well over this, this last month or so. So even when he returns, I think he's still there in the lineup. Looking at this young lineup, obviously, I mean, Millsap doesn't fit in that category, but this young Nuggets roster, how are they going to fare in this tough Western Conference? Are they going to be fit in the middle of the pack or are you looking higher than that? Uh, you know, I think that I think they're certainly a playoff team. Um, they've had some ups and downs, mainly because of injuries. But you look at there's a lot of momentum going with this team. And you mentioned a, a young roster. I've covered the Nuggets and been in the locker room for four years now, and this is by far, I think, the closest the, a Nuggets team has been. And a lot of that is, you know, two thirds of their roster is between 20 and 23 years old. Trey Lyles, Jamal Murray included in that. And I think there's some negatives that come with that inexperience, you know, and being inconsistent. But the positives are this has an AAU or high school feel to it where the guys are all close in age. They seem to all get along and they're all growing together. And and I just think that this is a team that's that's on the rise and they'll go through some ups and downs, especially in December. But I, I think they are a sleeping giant. Adam, we appreciate you taking some time, and we really, truly appreciate the insight on the two Canadians that we don't always get to see until they're here uh, for that one game during the season in Toronto. You, you bet, guys. Thanks for having me on. Once again, denverstiffs.com, beat writer for the Denver Nuggets. Adam Mares joining us here on home court. Interesting because, I mean, to your point, Dwayne, Trey, and, and to even Adam's point, wasn't really getting much love and burn and ability to do anything that we're seeing what he's doing right now with Denver in Utah they make that trade which if you're a Nuggets fan although you're getting something from Lyles you almost wish that you had that pick because Donovan Mitchell's turned out to be a stud yeah I was a little I mean Trey Lyles came out of college I think he was a one and done even I mean or or these two years he came out really early I mean and that like Kentucky obviously breeds a lot of a lot of top prospects but he kind of defined his way and I think it wasn't really happening in Utah and you know, you think, well, if he turns the switch, it could be good for Denver. And fortunately, he's taking advantage of opportunity right now with Millsap out and doing it. But, you know, they, Nuggets are good, but the Western Conference is a tough conference, as we talked about pretty much for most of the show. Yeah, and without Paul Millsap for an extended period of time. But, I mean, both of those guys, they, they've been great. They've really stepped up in Denver. I mean, they, they're doing well. Um Murray is interesting because it's sort of a similar start to the season this year as he had last year, really struggling with his shot. And then like last year, he's really turning it up now around Christmas. Uh, Adam made a good point about Lyles, too. And and Dwayne, you you reiterated it there as well. It comes down to opportunity in the NBA. We've seen it so many times, even with the Raptors. A guy like Pascal Siakam was just uh, the odd man out in the rotation to begin the year. But all of a sudden, an injury happens, uh, JV goes down, Siakam gets an opportunity, and he's been running with it ever since. 
James Johnson is a great yep. example. Never was a great fit in Toronto. Was just a victim of of being uh, the 10th, 11th man in a rotation with a number of other forwards and goes to Miami where he has a chance. And all of a sudden, he's really blossomed. So Lyles has is, is gotten a clear path now to playing time. Yep. And it sounds like even when the guy that was sort of keeping him away from a regular role comes back, he's now earned a, a role on that team. You mentioned mirroring Jamal's season from last year. Um, obviously, at All-Star break, he was the MVP of the USA versus the World game. And, I mean, he can score. That's not in question. So, interesting to see how that goes out this year, this summer. Since we're, we're talking about Canadians really quickly, the game's still in progress, but got to shout out O'Shea Brissett playing with Syracuse. He's got a double-double right now. There's still lots of time left. 2.09 left in a... 69-64 game in favor of Georgetown, but another Canadian who's trying to put on, again, another Canadian following the footsteps. If you think about it, Tyler Ennis went to Syracuse, so big shoes to fill on the Canadian side. But O'Shea Javon Brissett, Blair was playing um, in Georgetown, a former teammate of O'Shea's, both mm-hmm. with the AI, so it was kind of good to see AI connection happening down there. Three points off the bench for Blair. Not bad, not bad. We'll keep our eye on that as we continue on here. Home court continues. We'll talk a little NBA. We haven't had a chance to talk about OKC. Everybody's been talking about them. A huge triple OT win last night against Philly. We'll talk about that. We'll talk Mello and his return to MSG. Keep it locked right here. we got a lap of the track to go. Home court continues. TSN 1050. This is Home Court. On TSN 1050, the voice of Toronto basketball. Westbrook giving the ball 5 of 11 shooting free throws. Eyes the rim, snaps it off, it looks good, it isn't. Loose ball tipped by Patterson, it's over! The Sixers have fallen to the Thunder in triple overtime. What a thrill this was. OKC wins it. Yes, you heard it correctly. Triple OT. For OKC and Philly in the city of brotherly love, 119-117. Guys, this, <laughs> the stats for that game are ridiculous or rusticulous. Or, in a good way or a bad way? I mean, good go and bad. So Russell Westbrook, 27, 18, and 15. Sounds impressive. Until you look at his shot chart. And you realize which Joel Embiid so uh, generously pointed out to everyone. <laughs> uh, Mello twenty seven and or twenty four and seven on sixty four point seven percent shooting from the floor. Probably one of his best statistically percentage wise shooting games this season because he has struggled. Paul George twenty four and five. Embiid thirty four eight and six. And Ben Simmons actually a, a semi quiet night for Ben Simmons. 12, 9, and 11. Can we get back to the Westbrook 10 for 33 and George 8 for 23? Yeah. This team shoots, like Melo surprisingly didn't shoot a bad percentage, but I mean, their big three shoots the ball very poorly. Very poorly. So my question, because I, I, I looked at, I watched that game back, especially like the fourth quarter in overtime, and I looked at some of the stats, and because I, when I was watching the game, Mello was just, he was rolling. He was rocking, he was rolling. He just, it looked like he was having one of those mellow games where he was just in the zone scoring-wise. And then the fourth quarter starts, and Russ does what Russ does. Mello had in that game, I believe it was 60-plus touches. In the fourth quarter, he had under five. Under five. And he was rocking and rolling and probably having one of the best nights statistically from a shooting percentage-wise. And he was... 
he had them going in the fourth quarter or in the third quarter, excuse me, and then all of a sudden Russ just decides he's not going to get the ball into him anymore. Like, in my opinion, somewhat something needs to happen. Whether it's front office or Billy Donovan needs to, you know, just be a big boy and say, okay, you're one, you're two, you're three. This back and forth, up and down, nobody knows who's the guy needs to stop because they've got to figure it out. It kind of goes back to when Miami put their big three together and they had the hierarchy. They all made the decision. Okay, this is LeBron's team. I'm two, I'm three, and this is what this is what we have to do to make this work. Yeah, that's important. And I mean, even in Miami, it took a little bit of time for it to come together in Cleveland. Certainly the first half of, of that first season, it took a little bit of time to come together. I mean, it's not it, it's not easy. It's a good problem to have, obviously, if you're a coach, to have that much talent on the floor, but that talent has to build chemistry. Mm-hmm. Yep. And when you're dealing with guys' egos, first of all, but guys that are used to getting... A lot of shots, a lot of touches. It's an adjustment, and you really need somebody like a Chris Bosh, or in the case of Cleveland, sort of like a Kevin Love, to step back and say, okay, I'll be the third guy. Right. I'll fit in the the gaps and fill in the, the holes uh, wherever you need me to fill in. Bosh sort of as a defender and as a jump shooter in Miami, which wasn't his game in Toronto where he sort of did everything, but you make it work, and they've got to find a way to make it work. It's got to be Mello, right? Mello has to be that guy he that has, has to, to find other ways to contribute, because Russ is Russ. He's probably not changing a whole lot. Uh, Paul George, I, I mean, he does a lot of those little things, but uh, it, it's got to be mellow. And that's sort of why, I mean, they didn't give up a whole lot to get him, but I, I wasn't sure about that trade. You, you want it, his biggest thing, and really his only thing at this point in his career is scoring. He's a great yeah. scorer. What else does he give you? Uh, the Thunder, they can score. That isn't an issue. There are other things, specifically on the defensive end, that they need to be better at. And mellow doesn't help you there. You know, you mentioned, obviously, Miami. You mentioned Cleveland when those big threes kind of converged. But all those things happened as the teams came together to kind of win. You have these guys coming together, and two of them are free agents. So the motivation to kind of like, you know, we're going to get together and build something and win isn't the same. And I mean, Westbrook is, is the wild card because you can't, no one can tell Westbrook what to do. And that's the thing where you have a guy like, he wants to win. He feels he can, well, look at last year. I mean, he got this team to the playoffs by himself. Mm-hmm. So he thinks that, you know, he is the guy in that regard. And I think, you know, I didn't catch all the game. We had the Raptors game, obviously, but I saw some highlights where Westbrook had opportunity to pass to Carmelo and didn't. And didn't. Um, but in reading some stuff, also what they were doing is throwing a light, a soft double team at Melo. So they're forcing Andre Roberson to be the offensive guy. And he's not the guy. But if right. you're a team, you want the ball in, in Roberson's hands and not in Melo's hands. And sometimes Westbrook doesn't make the best decisions, but they have to figure out it's going to be competitive because, more importantly, what's going to happen, who's going to stay, who's going to go, is going to affect this team long-term because Russ isn't going anywhere. And that's my, that was going to be my next question. So, like, when you think about it, Melo can leave and Paul George can both leave. And we all know, if you pay any attention to the NBA, Paul George has made it very clear he wants to end up in L.A. Like, that, that, that's clear. Is that so what LeBron was whispering to Lonzo the other day? I mean, that the or... The three of us, we got it. <laughs> you know, the, the band of brothers... So like when you when you think about that, if you're Sam Presti, how much stock are you putting into the fact that right now they can't figure it out? And if they can't figure it out, I'm not like if I'm Sam Presti, I in the back of my mind, I'm thinking Paul George is gone out the door because who wants to go through that in another year? So if Melo and George both leave, does that say a lot more about 
Russ as a player and the fact that people hated KD because he left. But that's now three huge names in the NBA that would leave Russell Westbrook and they would have the exact same team they had last season in OKC. I think that says more about Westbrook as a player and the fact that players who have names can't play with him. Well, as of yesterday, players that were either traded or signed in the offseason can now be moved again. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the interesting question here. If the Thunder, I mean, they've started to figure things out a little bit in the sense that at least now they're in the Western Conference playoff picture, whereas they started way on the outskirts, uh, on the outside looking in. They're at 500 now, but let's face it. This team wasn't put together with the intention of being 500 unless they really figure things out and it's trade deadline time mid-February. Do they look to move a Paul George or a Carmelo Anthony to try and get something back, understanding that they probably won't stay unless they they are that team that a lot of people thought they could be. I mean, that's a great question. You look, they traded James Harden, who was, you know, like, look at James Harden now, obviously, right. because they were scared of him leaving. They didn't make a move with KD because they weren't sure what's up. But Sam Pritchett kind of went all in by making these b- bold moves to get Paul George and, and Carmelo Anthony. And is he going to be like, okay, you know what, this isn't working. Let me try and get some value for it. Or I'm going to try and ride it out and let's hope this team figures it out and we can make a push in the playoffs and hopefully they'll want to stay here. That's a big gamble. and that's a, It's a really tough yeah, call. It's right. a really tough call. On a lighter note, before we wrap gordon hayward has said he's open to returning this season that which in my opinion given the that the gruesome state of that injury in a way kind of shocks me but i mean when you think about it it was day one and he's slowly getting into doing you know workouts he's had a he's gonna have the probably the most time you could have had with it when players, it happened with returning, which it could be amazing. Players always want to play. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? If, <laughs> players always want to play. If I'm, And always think they can exactly, play. If I'm Danny H, he's not playing. They invested a bunch of money in this guy this year. Um, he's got to rehab, get better. And the team is playing well without him. Mm-hmm. You just let him get better. That would be a remarkable recovery. And I've learned in, in 2017 never to say never because of all the uh, technical advances there right. has been. Mm-hmm. Um on the, on the medical side of things, but y- you're right. I, I mean, it, it's not going to happen. Save it for next year. Yeah. <laughs> that is it for us for 2017. We yeah. have, we haven't, there is no home court next week, and then there'll be the holiday season. Will we, we will return January 6th of 28. Wow, that's hard to believe. Oh my goodness. 2018 is already here. For Josh Lewenberg and Dwayne Watson, I'm Megan McPeak. We wish you all a very happy holidays and a happy new year. Keep it locked. The Dark Guy and Todd Shapiro show coming up next.